Well, good evening. It's good to worship, isn't it? Just to abandon ourselves to Him in praise and adoration, how good He is. Well, we have come to the final chapter in Isaiah. It's been a year and a half. No, no one can accuse me of being hasty. <laughs> but uh, it's been good, hasn't it? Uh, it's been called the, the mini Bible because you got 66 books in the Bible. you got 66 chapters in Isaiah. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a very good study. Now, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word and the privilege, Lord, to lift our voices, to give you praise to give you thanks. And as we sung, Lord, that hymn, how we are reminded, Lord, how these old hearts of ours can be so prone to, prone to wander. But we thank you that you're the great shepherd. Lord, you have time and time and time again, you've rescued us. You brought us away from perhaps paths that we would choose that were not of your choosing. Many a time, Lord, you have intervened in our lives. Lord, you have prevented calamities that we're not even aware of. It's because you're good. It's because, Lord, as we have committed ourselves to you, you have more so committed yourself to us. And how you watch over us like a good father. And so we thank you that you have, you have chosen uh, to be our, our Abba. And what a father you are. What a great loving God you are. We're so incredibly thankful. We're blessed. And Father, now as uh, we, we move into a new season, uh, we're going to move into a new book. Lord, uh, there's going to be new changes, Lord, new opportunities. We do not know, Lord, what the future holds. But we know you. And you have the future in your hands. And you have placed us in your hands. And for that, we are thankful. I thank you for each and every one. And again, we thank you, Lord, that we have this, this privilege, this opportunity to gather. Lord, in this place where time and time again, you have just wonderfully met with us. And uh, we want to just thank you for this. So, Lord, we ask you to bless your word to our hearts tonight. We, we thank you for it. And, Lord, uh, speak, we pray. Lord, you speak uh, corporately, you speak individually. Uh, you know exactly, Lord, what each one of us, Lord, uh, uh, need to hear, and we're thankful. We pray that you'd also bless the stream, Lord, as it goes out. Lord, we thank you that you The Scripture says your word runs very swiftly, and it runs to those great areas of need, Lord, uh, in, in the life and in the heart. So, Lord... Uh, Thank you for this time uh, we committed to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Isaiah 66. <clears throat> now, as we enter into this uh, final chapter, uh, it's as if I think the Lord has some very uh, important parting shots, if you will, uh, to speak, some important things that he wants to speak here to his people uh, before uh, Isaiah's prophecy is finished. And as we get into these first, uh, this first section here of chapter 66, uh, we are reminded of the, the concept that, that God's people had 
uh, and it was a limited, you know, we often, I think all of us in one way or another, we're, we're limited, you know, in our understanding and our comprehension. I, I think it was true then, I think it's true today, maybe in different ways, but I think that we're all limited. And so Isaiah is speaking to them, um, you know, because of this very thing, you know, their, their, their understanding of him was, was kind of stunted. And that's why it's important, you know, as we, as we walk on with him. Um, you know, our understanding, our knowledge of him can be so limited. Um, but, uh, you know, over in Ephesians chapter 3, you know, Paul makes an interesting thing. He speaks about, uh, about the, you know, the, the love of Christ uh, that is beyond, uh, surpasses knowledge, it surpasses comprehension. Well, how do you know it then? And, and the way that we know it, the way that we know the Lord uh, it's not just a head knowledge. It's in our experience. You know, as we experience him, as we're living with him, you know, each and every day. That's why it's so important uh, that we have that ongoing living experience. It's not just a matter of memorizing scripture. I mean, it's great to memorize scripture. But again, uh, it's only relevant and important to us as we know him, you know, in our experience, you know, knowing him. You know, as we go through the trials, the tribulations, the experiences of life that we're, that we're comprehending him, that we're seeing. And I think that's happening when we're seeing the hand of the Lord, you know, in our day-to-day -day circumstances, in our situations, when all of a sudden something happens. And, and we've been around people, and this has happened to us, when all of a sudden something happens, say, oh, that was the Lord. That was the Lord. And if somebody was withstanding with you that didn't know the Lord, say, what is going on with this person? I think they're a little bit, you know... You know, I don't know what they're smoking or what they're eating, whatever the case. But, uh, but, but again, that's the heart. You know, that's the, the relationship that we have when all of a sudden we see his hand uh, at work. Uh, and it may be, you know, and again, it's, we, 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 you know, it's oftentimes invisible things. But uh, we know when our God is working. We see when he's answering prayer. Um, and so often I'll turn to Margie and I'll say, wow, that was the Lord, you know, kind of a thing. And because we're experiencing him, we're, we're getting to know him in a deeper and an ongoing way. Now, in verse 1, he had, thus says the Lord, <clears throat> Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Uh, where is the house that you will build for me? <laughs> Question. Um, uh, where is the place uh, of my rest? And, and he's addressing a certain mindset that they somehow they thought God could be contained in four walls. Uh, we, we sometimes refer to it as putting God in a box. Uh, and that can happen to, to, to anybody who believes in God. You know, we can kind of sometimes put him in the box. We can limit him, you know, basically to our particular understanding. And again, they saw God as just basically, he's going to live in this house forever. Uh, as, as, as the Jewish people, you know, they had their temple. And they would go there. Uh, and the presence of God, and you know, in the Old Testament, there's Shekinah presence of God. You know, the fire by night, the cloud by day. Um, you know, they would go there, they would experience. That's why, you know, that was one of the things I think drew, kept drawing God's people back, you know, for those feast times and those pilgrimages. They actually sensed, they were aware of the presence of the true and the living God. I think, I think in a sense, like we do as well, but we don't have to go to some particular place. The Spirit of God, He, he dwells within us. Uh, and he manifests himself to us, I think, at times, in, a ver in very special times, when I think when we need that, that, you know, that touch, you know, that sense of the presence you know, of God within our life. 
But they were limiting him in that kind of way. And, and again, just, just measuring him according to their own particular perceptions. And sometimes those perceptions that we can have can be limited or even mistaken. So where is the house that you'll build for me, he says. And where is the place for, uh, of my rest? For all those things my hand has made. And all things, you know, and all those things exist, says the Lord. They exist, exist simply because of him. And again, he's speaking of the temple, its purpose. And all these things, they, they were elementary school. All these things in the Old Testament, in the law, the sacrificial system, the rituals, uh, all these things, even the civil laws, uh, they, were, they were elementary school in a sense, spiritual elementary school, prepping them, pointing them to Jesus. Everything we find in the Old Testament, in one way or the other, you know, it's to point them to Jesus Christ. But the problem was they fell so in love with the system that they missed the one to whom the, miss, the system pointed when he came. And that's what happens sometimes. God's people get so, they get so mystified and caught up with maybe ritual you know, or that kind of thing, you know, liturgy. And, and some of these things can be, you know, they can be absolutely beautiful in their own place. But sometimes we have to be careful that we, we, we don't become so in love with the things of God that we really miss the person of the Lord, the person of God. And so he says, but on this, but on this one uh, will I look. He's speaking about the person. On him who is poor, and is of a contrite spirit, who trembles at my word. Now, he said this in length, if you remember, when we're over in chapter 57, in verse 15, he said this at length, and I'll read it to you once again. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place. And here who he dwells with, with him or with her, who has a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And you know, so often, you know, when we look at our world, it's always trying to extinguish us. You know, you get that, uh, you know, we, we, in a sense, uh, you know, we have that passion, that flame, that fervency. And it, it, when, when it speaks about a fervent passion, it speaks about a fire. You know, to have that fire in our heart for God, for the things of God. You know, looking forward for opportunities when we go to church, when we get together. You know, I can remember in a time of a, in a, time of a you know, perhaps a, um, greater revival where God was moving. And, uh, and you know, some, in, in those times, you know, it, it seemed like people can get to church fast enough. And man, they're like, want to get in the front, want to be in the front row, you know, kind of a thing. And then what happens is the, you know, the zeal begins to cool. And, um, you know, the, we begin to just sort of migrate, move away. And, and it's interesting, you know, I, I can remember certain people that way, they would run to get to the front seat. And over the course of time, you know, they're there in the back, they're sitting in the back, you know, what's happened, you know, kind of a thing. And I don't mean towards anybody sitting in the back, okay? Uh, I realize the back always fills up first, okay? And, um, but, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we migrate, we, we move away from, you know, that place where there was just that once that passion, that fervency, and all of a sudden we're caught up in our, our little rituals. And, uh, and, you know, duty's fine. Duty's fine. Sometimes duty carries us when we don't have passion. But we don't just want to be stuck in some ritual. We just don't want it always to be a sense of duty. Because when, it, when that happens, man, we're going to be eventually get bored. You, you get bored with those kinds of things, and you begin to just sort of drift away, you know, from the Lord, the things of the Lord. You drift away from the people of the Lord, you know, that place of fellowship and that sort of thing. But, but here's the one who God looks at. 
He looks at the person who, 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 who is passionate toward him. The person basically he says here, they have a contrite spirit and they tremble at my word. You know, uh, over in Second uh, Chronicles 16, uh, basically um, the, the writer there says, uh, you know, how God, he, his eyes search to and fro the earth to look for that person whose heart is loyal. To, to look for that person, you know, the search for that person that just, in a sense, you know, is waiting on the Lord. You know, we talk about that sometimes, you know, are we really waiting? Are we waiting for him? Um, I, I think in a sense, you know, we're all waiting for God to answer prayer or do something. But again, I think this needs to be an active sense of just, you know, waiting on the Lord. Um, you know, when we gather together, are we waiting for a word? Are, are we waiting to hear, you know, God specifically speak? you know, to us, you know, relative to some area, some issue, something's going on in our life. Maybe some, you know, somebody that we care about, we're just waiting to hear, you know, just something that is applicable. And, you know, when you have, and I think it's important to have that kind of waiting, you know, for him, because when you're waiting for him, you will not be disappointed. You know, God will wonderfully, he will, he may, he may be long sometimes in, in answering our prayer, but I'll tell you what, when we have that waiting kind of attitude, God will wonderfully, he will speak into our lives, he will speak into our heart. Now he says something here about this whole system, about this ritualistic kind of a religion, uh, this just this, you know, just mere duty that sometimes begins to replace the passion, the love, the fervency, you know, Paul said about the love of God, he said, the love of God drives me. It, 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 you know, I think people, you know, I think sometimes nominal people uh, perhaps maybe would look at the Apostle Paul and they say, what, yeah, what is it with that guy? What drives him? Man, he's just a driven individual. And he says in 2 Corinthians, I think chapter 5, he says, it's the love of Christ. It's that love for him that motivates me and moves me and constrains me and, and guides me. And, 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 and it had to be when you look at all the things that Paul uh, was enabled to do. Uh, there was, a, again, there was that fire deep down within his heart and deep down within his life. And so he's speaking here basically to the sacrificial system, again, designed to be a, a signpost. Uh, it, was, it was designed to be a billboard, in a sense, pointing to Messiah and what, a, what Messiah would accomplish. Because remember John when he sees him, when he, Jesus shows up on the, on the scene. And remember, John's his cousin, okay? John has seen him before. When John sees him, he's about, you know, John and Jesus are both about 30 years old. And when he comes to him, when John is baptized, he says, you know, prophetically, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And again, that, that had relevance to those people that were listening because they knew what a lamb meant. That they had probably, you know, over the course of their life, taken a lamb, you know, you know, ritualistically to the temple and had it basically slaughtered. And when that, whenever a, a Jew had to do that, what they would do, they would take the priest, and it was an identification thing. That they would, uh, before the priest took that beautiful little lamb that you raised up, almost like a pet. Can you imagine taking your little poodle? Okay, this dear little poodle. Do you ever notice how expensive dogs are today? What has happened in the dog world? I mean, they're so expensive. Uh, we thought a couple of times about buying a dog, but, you know, I don't want to mortgage my house <laughs> to buy a dog. But anyway, imagine, you know, you take this beautiful little lamb that you raised up. It came almost like a pet, uh, a pet rather, and you take it to the priest, and before he slits the throat, you reach, you, you reach out and you lay your hands on it. And, and symbolically and mystically, by faith, it, it, you know, your sin is transferred to that lamb. That's what the sacrificial system was about. And, uh, and what an incredible thing. But it was, all, it was all 
a, a teaching mode to point to what Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, what he would do. That again, our sins would be transferred to him by faith. We don't have to lay our hands, but it was simply by faith. And that's why the scripture always speak about Messiah, Old and New Testament alike, just simply to put your belief, okay? To put your heart belief you know, upon him and what he would accomplish. So he says here in verse 3, he who kills a bull as if he had slays a man. Wow. And I bet you there were those that were so enmeshed in that whole system when they would, excuse me, when they hear Isaiah, you know, prophesy like that. Isaiah, what are you talking about, man? That's heresy. Isaiah, that's blasphemy. You're putting down the sacrificial system. But again, he was speaking for God. He who kills a bull, a bull, rather, as if he slays a man, he who sacrifices a lamb, as if he breaks a dog's neck. And he who offers a grain offering, as if he offers swine's blood. Uh, and he who burns incense, as if he blesses an idol. Now, these were all things that were a, just uh, you know, part and parcel of the whole sacrificial system you know, to offer up, you know, incense, uh, to offer up your sacrifice in faith. It was a good thing. But here's what happened. It become just an external thing. They were just simply going through all the motions. And you see, that can happen to Christianity. That can happen to us, where it all just becomes some external thing. Uh, you know, I've seen, I, you know, over the years, you see so much as a pastor, when you're up here, kind of like on your perch, you know, you can see people sleeping through the service. You can see people... <laughs> You know, turning around, looking at the clock, you know, they can't wait to get out of here, you know, kind of a thing. And that's what can happen to us. That, that can happen to us, you know, where we're just maybe caught up in the external act of the whole thing, but it's not really in our heart, not really in our life, and, and uh, there's no real emotion. It's just, just emotion. It's not emotion. There's no, you know, repentance. There's no brokenness. There's, there's none of those things. And that's what happened to God's people. And just as they have chosen... Their own ways, their soul delights in their abominations, and that's what happens. You know, when you, when your, when your heart drifts from the true and the living God, man, you, we're going to love something. That that's the way God has fashioned us. We are worshipers. He's fashioned us like that. He's designed. And if we're not going to worship Him, we will worship something lesser. We will worship a lesser God. We will worship a, another person. We will worship some kind of material object. You know, some pursuit, well, that'll become the driving force in our life. We are worshipers. And you see it out there in our culture, in our world, the way people go after, you know, different things. But again, uh, that's, that's what happened to God's people. They turned. And, it, and you know what? It isn't something that happens overnight. It isn't something that happens at one time. It's a process. It's a process of drifting. That's, that's what Hebrews chapter 2 says. He says uh, uh, we need to make the, take the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard uh, lest they slip. Uh, and, and a picture there is a, it's a nautical term. It's a boat that's lost its mooring. It's drifting out of the harbor, you know, onto the high seas. And that's what happens within our hearts. That's what happens in our life. We begin to just sort of slowly, progressively just begin to migrate away from God, the things of God. We're not praying with passion anymore. We just have time. Just don't have the time to read my Bible and, 
and, and maybe, you know, maybe if, if, if uh, uh, it's rainy or maybe if the weather's bad, we'll go to church this Sunday, you know, kind of a thing. And that kind of thing happens. Those kind of reasonings kind of enter in, you know, to our thoughts and, and we, when we're just moving uh, and we're delighting simply, you know, in the wrong thing. You know, I think it's one of those kind of things, you know, when can we, can we say is the last time that we have really, really, truly delighted in the Lord? Just delighting in him. Maybe you're sitting with an open Bible, and man, you're just, you're just pouring out the praise, and you're just, you know, just meeting with the Lord. It isn't any special conference or anything. It's just, you know, you're just sitting and supping, uh, and you're drinking in the presence of the Lord, and you're just, you ever been in those kind of places, and you say, oh, I don't want to leave. Man, this is so good. Just drinking in of his beauty and his presence. You know, we need to have, we need to have those moments. I think we've all had them at one time or another. I, I think we've had those kind of moments, and, and we need to have them. We, we need to have you know, there's times where we just, you know, where we're just sitting with the Lord with our Bible open. We're just kind of, you know, interfacing with him. We're talking to him. We're praying. And I love those times. I love those times. You know, I have times where I just sit down and I'm at the Bible to study. I'm studying. I'm preparing those sort of things. But you know what? Uh, pastors sometimes get trapped in that. It's, it's every study, every time they go to the Bible, it's preparing for a study. And that's a danger. And it's good to just be able to open your Bible and, and just, you know, you're, you just you get just get caught up in it. You just get caught up in God. You know God is just sort of speaking to your heart, and you know speaking to your life. And I don't know when the last time you've had that. That's one of the things that we hope to accomplish when we retreat, to just get away, get away for some time. And 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 it doesn't have to be a long time either. Uh, I know not everybody can make it on a retreat. There's been a lot of times where maybe you know Margie was traveling, wherever the case may be, and I just grab my Bible, I get in my car, and take some water and maybe a few snacks and some fruit and, and, and I'll throw up my backpack and I'll just go out. I'll just go walking in the woods. Um, just, just to, you know, get away and spend some time, you know, with him. And, and, and I think there's something special about getting away because when we're home, we got all chores, we got all the responsibilities, we got all the duties, you know, uh, you know, we got our, our rhythms and our patterns of things that we need to get done, you know, at home. And sometimes we just got to get away from it. Get away from it and just, you know, maybe go somewhere and just, you know, say, Lord, I want to meet with you today. And, and there's times where, you know what, you need to hear. We, we just need to hear from him, you know, about some issue, about something in our life. And I think that when we take that time, God sees it. And sometimes taking the time with God is a sacrifice, isn't it? Absolutely. It can be a sacrifice, but I think when we do that, he sees that, and, and he honors that to, to meet with us and to speak, you know, into our life and into our situation. You know, the, the Old Testament term, uh, delight, has more than one meaning. Um, you know, in, in Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight thyself, you know, in the Lord, and he will, what, give you the desires of your heart. And, and that's a beautiful thing. But, but the word delight there, it means, it's interesting, it means soft and pliable, even effeminate. And when I think of that, um, I always think of John, the Apostle John at the Last Supper. What does he do? He lays his head on the chest of Jesus. And, and, and when you think about it being soft and pliable and effeminate, it, it reminds me of the relationship a woman would have with a man. 
In other words, what he's saying to delight ourselves in the Lord in that kind of way. Because he is our Lord. We're his bride. <laughs> we need to be like John in a spiritual sense to you know, just lay our head on his breast. Uh, over in Psalm 40, which is, by the way, it's a, it's a, the whole psalm is pretty much a messianic psalm, but in Psalm 40, verse 8, the Lord says here, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is written within my heart. The word here, delight, simply means to bend toward another with delight and pleasure. Just to bend toward that other person in a submissive kind of way. That's what God wants from us. That, that's how he wants us to just simply delight in him. Um, I knew a, a brother, he's with the Lord now, but he used to be a worship leader. He was a pastor too. And, uh, and oftentimes, you know, he lived, him and his wife lived with us for a number of months, and I knew him very well, and I was on staff with him at one, you know, at one uh, particular time. And there would be times, because he was a musician, he would just go in and sing and minister to the Lord. And I'd walk up and I'd, you know, say, hey, how you doing? What are you doing? And I could just tell that, man, he was just, he was just, he was just ministering to the Lord. You know, that was, that was one of his gifts was to, to, to you know, to worship. And, and, and he, wasn't, he wasn't even getting ready. He wasn't even getting ready uh, to, you know, for worship or anything. He was just worshiping to him. And I knew a, we had another sister in the Lord uh, many, many years ago, Jan Sealing. And um, she would be singing um, at times. She, would, she was a worship leader for, for, for a, a few years. And there would be times where she would just, when she was singing, she'd go into prophecy. Remember that? And it was just like, you knew it. You knew it. No, nobody had to say anything. You knew Jan was prophesying. And I'll tell you what, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, give that to us. We want that. And, and it was just her gift. It was just her gift. And it was such a beautiful kind of thing because, you know, she would just go off of her song, you know, into this prophecy um, and it was just such a beautiful thing, and, and everybody, you just knew, the, you know, the Lord was, you know, ministering, you know, in a very, very wonderful, very special way. We need to delight in him. He, he says here, uh, so will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them, because when I called, no one answered, and when I spoke, they did not hear, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which uh, I do not delight. And again here, you know, fear and faith are, are always, you know, they're opposites. Uh, you know, the, the thing is when we choose faith, you know, you know uh, we've rejected, you know, fear by basically default. And when we choose fear, we reject faith, okay? So it's so important, again, that we walk by faith and not by sight, you know, just simply, you know, trusting him. And, and oftentimes you realize your whole life, the whole life of the Christianity is all about faith. It's all about trust. It, it's all about faith means reliance upon, submission to. Our, that's the meaning of faith. Our whole life is that. It's not just some belief about something specific. It's our whole life. It's just surrendered to him. It's a trusting life. It's a believing life. It's a life that just basically wants God involved you know, in all the particular directions and decisions and that sort of thing. And, of course, he loves that. He desires that. He longs for that. So, uh, so he says, and, and choose that in which I do not delight. Um, so hear the word of the Lord. He's speaking here to the faithful remnant. And this is the remnant, it was interesting, that were faithful to him. 
at one point, um, uh, Isaiah speaks about his disciples. And again, as a prophet, uh, he was pretty much a teacher, a rabbi of sorts. Uh, and, and every rabbi, every teacher, they had their disciples. And, uh, but what's interesting about this is faithful remnant. It really points, I think it's a direct application to the early church. And again, how they were rejected by their brethren. You know, when you, when you really want to walk close to Jesus Christ, you will find rejection. You, you can't help it. And sometimes you even find rejection, you know, from those who are believers. Uh, but we will find, you know, when we align ourselves with Jesus Christ, there's going to be things that in our life that people, even Christians, don't understand. Because maybe when God is saying, let me just give you an example. Okay, here's, here's a, a young couple, and this uh, young couple, they've, um, they've been well-educated, and they know the Lord, they love the Lord, they've grown up in Christian families, and so forth, and all of a sudden, the, uh, they feel the Lord is calling them into cross-culture ministry, go-overseas ministry kind of a thing. And parents may, wow, that... <laughs> We didn't plan on that. You know, we paid for your education so that you would, you know, you'd hopefully, you know, live down the street and raise your family and we'd have a wonderful experience, you know, and to know your, the grandkids and all that sort of thing. And, and sometimes when, you know, we have to make decisions to follow the Lord to, or just simply to obey the Lord in some kind of way. But, you know, we, we love people, but they may not understand and relate to decisions that God is calling you and me to. Um, and we have to accept that. We have to accept that. We have to understand that. We can't allow ourselves as, as servants of the true and the living God to be controlled, you know, by, you know, by the opinions of people. And, and sometimes that happens. That, that sometimes that's a sad thing because, you know, we, uh, we can oftentimes, you know, we, 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 we love people. We want to please people. But you know what? We need to please the Lord. We need to please him. Uh, Paul says it, doesn't he, in Galatians chapter 1, you know, if I, if I seek to please men, I cannot be a servant of Christ. And there's, all, there's, a, there's, there's a friction there. There's a friction between those two of that pleasing people, people that we know, people that we love, um, and, and then, but then pleasing the Lord and being obedient to him. That's uh, something that's very important that we need to do. So you, he says, now hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brethren who hated you, who cast you out for my name's sake, uh, and said, let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But he says, they will be ashamed. Uh, the sound, <clears throat> and then verse, verse 6 here, I think, is simply, it's, it's a warning uh, to the nation that when they would reject Messiah, they would basically, um, they would re be rejecting God. A voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who fully repays uh, his enemies. Uh, and before she was in labor, she gave birth. Uh, before her pain came, she was delivered. Uh, she delivered a male child. So uh, the nation is going to basically give birth to a savior. Um, uh, but, you know, it, Israel's real travail is yet future. Uh, they did. You know, uh, early chapters of Isaiah spoke about you know, the virgin birth and, and Messiah and his coming and so forth. But I'll tell you what, uh, because they rejected him, their real travail, their, their, national, their, spiritual, their national spiritual birth. Yes, there was a remnant, a remnant in Israel, 
always has been, they've gotten saved. But again, nationally speaking, they have rejected their Messiah. So their travail, their moment is yet to come. We're going to see that. We're going to watch that. We're going to see that uh, from a different perspective, you know, not, not so much down here, uh, but from a heavenly perspective, because when the Lord returns in Revelation 19, we will be coming with him. And, uh, and I believe that, uh, you know, as we're in heaven, we'll be able to observe and behold some of the things that are taking place, you know, here on earth as this world goes through a very, a very difficult time. So she shall be delivered of a male child. <clears throat> you know, first, we'll, you know, Messiah will come. Uh, then the church will come. And who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? You know, it's interesting when you think about, you know, the nation of Israel. There's been no other nation like it. They have had a national rebirth. May 1948, right? I remember we were in Israel on this 40th anniversary. We were there, and uh, it was our first tour in 1988. And um, it was a year. I was just kind of thinking about it the other day because, um, if you've been to Israel lately or if you follow things that are going on there, uh, you'll notice that uh, they're in a long, long-term drought. And when we were there in 88, man, it just never stopped raining. It just rained and rained and rained. And everywhere we turned was waterfalls. And they were so absolutely happy. And I think right now uh, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee is probably down 20, 30 feet. Uh, the Dead Sea... Um, from 1988, um, it's amazing how so much more of the land you can see uh, of the Dead Sea that you, that you couldn't see. It was covered by water even back then. And, um, but again, they're going to experience a, a wonderful rebirth. And when, when you think about Israel, that's why if you go in my office, I have an Israeli flag. Because you know what? Jerusalem is going to be the capital of this globe and of this earth. Um, another day, another age. And you know what? I think we're on the precipice of it. I, I think we are so close. I don't know, I don't know exactly how close. Um, but I think we're, we're getting so very close when you look at what is going on, you know, in our culture, in our society. Um, getting scary out there, isn't it? And hasn't this whole COVID thing uh, created just such a, a, a microcosm if you will, uh, an end-time microcosm. It's almost like a template that fits over certain parts of the book of Revelation. And I think, and the world doesn't see that. They don't see that. But we see that. You know, we see the, the globalism. You know, we see the mandates, the control. And, it, and you can see where at some point it's going to be a perfect setup for one man, one man to come and gain control. Because it says, Jesus said that the nations at some point at the end, will come into perplexity. That means there's no way out. And that's why you have within our country and within many countries, you have a whole bunch of people, very wealthy people, whether they're scientific people or whether they're political, they're globalists. And they, and they feel that we have to really come together, you know. And again, it, it is true in a sense that we are, we are connected. We are connected to the world. But again, this globalism is going to fit basically right into a, a pattern um, and, and create an opportunity for, you know, the Antichrist, you know, eventually when, when he comes. But uh, 
the Lord, I think, lets us to see little glimmers, little glimpses of what's ahead so that we can pray. And again, we'll realize how close it is. Uh, so he goes on to say here, as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. And shall I bring to a time of birth and not cause delivery? Of course he will. Uh, shall, I, shall I who cause delivery shut the womb, uh, says your God? And again, he's speaking here. He's referring to this more than anything, the Jewish, the, the spiritual awakening of the Jewish people. Man, he's, he has got a, a he, he, that is more than anything. You see, the world has had its opportunity for 2,000 years. There's going to be people, there's going to be Gentiles saved, no doubt about it. But I mean, this is our time. This is the time for the Gentile world to respond to the gospel. You know, when the day of the Lord comes, it's the time for the Jew. Once again, God is going to be working more than anything to bring the nation, you know, to himself. And it will take a near cataclysm in order for that to happen. We can see that in the prophecies. So he says here, and again, he's, look, what's he, he's looking forward here to the kingdom age. He's looking forward to the joy and the blessedness of that time. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her. Remember the Bible says in one of the Psalms, or maybe it's like Psalm 125 or something like that. I'm, I don't know for sure, but it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know what that is? That's a messianic prayer. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, there's a false peace coming, okay, that the, the Jewish nation will be deceived by the Antichrist. But the, but the real peace is the Prince of Peace. So when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what you're praying for is the re return of Jesus Christ. That, that's a messianic prayer, you know. That's why John says, oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That, that's his prayer, come quickly. <clears throat> We're talking about this in prayer the other day. And... Uh, it was in Revelation chapter 1, and we were in men's prayer, and we got talking about some prophetic things, and, and I was, uh, it's verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, where uh, <clears throat> when we talk about how long it's going to be, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, us, things which must shortly take place. The word shortly is the root word for where we get the word tachometer. And any of you guys ever had a hot rod, okay? You know what a tachometer is, okay? Or if you had a motorcycle. I've had motorcycles with tachometers on them. And it basically, it measures the revolutions of the, how many times the engine turns over. So, you know, you, 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 you turn your, you, you step on your accelerator and the tachometer goes, boom, 3,000, 4,000 RPMs. And, and that's what he's saying here. These things must shortly take place and uh, there, there's going to come a time where I, I think we'll all be surprised uh, not in a total sense but when the trumpet comes and we're all going up together it's like we'll probably think I can't believe it I can't believe it it's, it's really it's finally happened that is if we're that group for the rapture it will be nice huh? so rejoice with Jerusalem be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice for joy with her, all you who mourn for her, that you may feed and be satisfied with the consolation of her bosom, that you may drink deeply and be delighted with the abundance of her glory, 
Now, Jerusalem is said to be over, I think, in Galatians, is the mother of us all. And I think the picture that he's simply pointing here, painting, painting here uh, is basically the picture of humanity because of Christ, because of what he's done. And he's, and he's referring basically to Jerusalem, that we're in a sense that the world is being suckled, you know, at her breast because of Jesus Christ and what he done. Now, remember a number of times, um, you know, he has said this. He has said this, um, you, know, you know, relative to the world and to Jesus Christ coming. Um, you know, that, that we would be, in a sense, that, you know, that we would be nourished, you know, at, you know, at the breast of God and so forth. And it's interesting, too, there's a term, um, there's a term for the Lord, Almighty. And uh, it, it, Almighty in Hebrew is the word shad, okay? It's also the word for breast. That's why uh, you have sometimes, sometimes different uh, definitions for the, for the word. When we talk about God Almighty, we're talking about El Shaddai, okay? We used to sing the song. It used to be popular, you know, some 20, 25 years ago. You know, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Uh, and one of the definitions is, um, you know, the many-breasted one. The, in other words, the one who sustains us, the one who feeds us, the, the one who fills us. And, and again, like Paul says over in the New Testament, Galatians, you know, Jerusalem, because of Christ and what God does there, and has become, in a sense, you know, the mother of us all. And again, it's, a, it's sort of a comparison, Jerusalem versus Mount Sinai, you know, Mount Calvary versus Mount Sinai. It's not the law. It's Jesus Christ and what he has done. He's delivered us. He's fulfilled the law on our behalf. Now, thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace like a river. We used to sing that. Many years ago, you know, peace like a river, peace like a river, you know, kind of a thing. And you know, one thing about a river is, you know, when you think about it, it's always on the move, but you know something? On the surface, it's peaceful. I, I grew up next to a river. I grew up next to the Delaware River. And, uh, and you don't realize the current of it until you jump in it. And all of a sudden, wow. Um, I, uh, I was five years old. I, uh, was, I actually watched my cousin drowned. Um, he and his sister uh, and, and myself uh, went down to the Delaware uh, one afternoon, one beautiful spring afternoon in late February 1954, and um, they both got in the kayak and it overturned, and um, and they just they just disappeared in the water. And I'm just you know I'm like five years old. I'm a little guy looking at them, wondering what in the world you know is is going on here. And um, some man came down, running down from the Columbia Yacht Club. And as he's running, I'm, I'm watching him as he's running. He's tearing his shirt off and his shoes off, and he jumps in. He saves, he saved Rita, but he never got, he never saved Eddie. And I remember um, they back then they would take grappling hooks and they would drag the river, you know, for a body. And I'll tell you what, that river was a wide river where I lived. It was a mile across, and they dragged that river all night long. And they finally they finally found him, but they found him like 10, 15 miles up the river because the current had just basically taken him up the river uh, to a place uh, called uh, Bristol, Pennsylvania. But a river, when you look at a river, it can seem so peaceful, you know, on the surface. And God says, you know, and that's the thing, you know, underneath there can be a current, there can be turmoil. But on the top, you know, in our minds, in our hearts, you know, uh, there can be that peace of God that surpasses all understanding, all comprehension. Because what happens is sometimes we look at the reality of what's going on in our life and we're, we fall apart, we're stressed. But when we look at him, when we turn to him and... Uh, uh, you know, we, we allow his peace, you know, to come into our life, you know, in spite of all the turmoil that might be going on, 
you know, in our circumstances, in our situations. So behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Uh, then you shall feed on her sides and you shall be carried and be dandled on her knees. So again here, uh, just a, a beautiful picture, you know, the, the glory of the Gentiles and the Lord Jesus. You know, he's our glory, isn't it? He's our one. He's our glory. You know, what, what did Jeremiah say? And I think Paul picks up on it. You know, let him who glories glory in the Lord. You know, he's our boast. You know, what he's done, who he is, what he continues to do. And, and what we see here in verse 13, uh, 12 and 13, it says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Speaking of Jerusalem, he's speaking to the Jewish people. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So it gives here a beautiful picture of just lo love and joy and peace, you know, in a, in a kind of a, a beautiful domestic situation. Now, verse 14, when you see this and your heart uh, shall rejoice and your bones shall flourish like grass. You know, it's, it's interesting how, you know, we observe God working in humanity. And what, what a beautiful thing that is to see restoration. When, when you see God, when you, when you see him save somebody. Uh, yeah, that's why we need to witness. We need to see people get saved. We, we need to see people getting restored. And, and it's, it's so wonderful. You know, for us, it's, it's health, healthy for us. We, we need to have that where, in a sense, there's babes, you know, coming in. People are getting saved. Lives are getting changed. It's an important thing to see that, that restoration. One of the things that we're always praying for, Lord, help us to evangelize. Lord, help us, we pray, to, to, to have impact, you know, in our culture. And I know the culture's gotten harder. It, it, it seemed to be, you know, 30, 40 years ago, so much easier to witness for Christ, to get a listening ear. Not, not that, you know, people are so distracted, you know, in our culture, in our world, and everybody thinks, well, I don't, what do I need for, what do I need religion for? I mean, that's what I said. That's what I said in 1970s, you know, you know before I got saved. What, what do I need religion for? What do I need that for? And I was so utterly needy, like, like many people are in our world today, but they don't know it. And that's why it's important that we need to honestly engage people in, in a spiritual conversation. Well, I don't know that much. Well, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised when you engage yourself in a spiritual conversation what God's going to give you. And God will give you something that's relevant to that person. And that's where we've got to get over our, our fears, our embarrassment, um, uh, our worrying that we just don't really have enough. Listen, uh, I, I can remember just overflowing with a witness when I first got saved. I didn't know nothing. I knew nothing. And, and I would begin to talk about Jesus, and I would marvel what came to me. And I hardly knew the Lord at all. And, and he'll do that for us if we just simply take that step of faith and and see, you know, the real need that's out there. So you'll see this. Your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like grass. The hand of the Lord shall be known uh, to his servants and his indignation to his enemies, two, two different groups, two different outcomes. For behold, the Lord will come with fire and with chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire, Revelation 19, gives us that account. For by fire and by his sword, that is by his truth, the Lord will judge all flesh. The slain of the Lord shall be many. Man, when you just read billions of people, 
In the day of the Lord, billions of people will die. It's, it's, I remember one time tallying it up, and it was just like, it was like more than half of the world's population will be dead because of the judgments that, that will fall upon the world. The slain of the Lord shall be many. And those who sanctify themselves and purify themselves, not in a good way, but to go to the gardens after an idol in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abominations and the mouse. Man, who in the world would want to eat a mouse? Um, even eating swine's flesh. You know what swine's flesh is? Pork rinds. <laughs> Nutritionally, they're absolutely worthless. <laughs> oh, but they taste good. They taste like bacon. <laughs> and, and he's speaking here to Israel. They, they left truth. They, they left truth and settled for apostasy. And so, you know, when we leave truth, we settle for a lie, don't we? And, and this world is full. This world has lies to all kinds of degrees. You know, Satan has a certain kind of a counterfeit thing to relate to every different person, every different people group. He, he, he manipulates cultures. Um, he's at work, you know, in our fast-moving culture here. He's at work in some culture across the world, third world culture. He's at work. He knows exactly how to entrap people, you know, in some kind of deception, in some kind of love. That's why Jesus said one of the best things that we can do tonight is not sitting home watching TV and vegetating and getting indoctrinated or whatever the case may be because Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Folks, we need the truth every day because you know why? We're getting barraged by lies every day. Some degree of deceit, something that can maybe, you know, appeal to us. That, that's what Satan does. He, he, he takes a, some area of deception and it appeals to the culture. It appeals to people. And that's why, again, the truth will buttress us. You know, it, it will strengthen us against all those kinds of things that are out there floating around in our culture. For he says, I know their works and their thoughts. Remember, the scripture says, and it's true, we are what we think. We are what we think. Uh, Philippians 4.8, think on things that are good and pure and lovely and, and true. Think on those things. Uh, another translation says meditate on these things. And it says we meditate upon those good things. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes it's interesting how the culture presents things that would normally be adverse to us, principles philosophies, concepts that would be adverse to us, but they put, put them in perhaps um, a, a humorous sitcom, and all of a sudden you're laughing at it. You're, you're laughing at it, uh, and at the same time you're laughing at it, you're somewhat accepting it. it it's subtle. The, the enemy is so absolutely subtle, you know, in what he, the way he subverts and takes over a culture or takes over a person's individual lives. And that's why we need the truth. We, we need the truth. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, the, the, Holy, the truth will sharpen the discernment of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because we'll measure things by the truth of the Word of God. And that's why, man, you've got to get your dose every day. You've got to read your Bible. 
every day. We need God speaking to us every day. And you'll, you'll, you will be surprised that what you read in the morning before you go off and start your day will come to play some point in that day. It will come to play at some point in that day. Something that you read earlier. It'll resonate with you. It'll guide you. It'll direct you. It may warn you. For I know their works and their thoughts. And it shall be, I will gather all nations and tongues, <clears throat> and they shall come uh, and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and those among them who escape I will send to the nations. Like this sign could be, you know, a miracle. It could be a message. I think it's both. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we've seen in the early church here when we're looking at Acts is they're scattered. And where do they go? To the nations. They go to the nations with what? Sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, sharing the message. <clears throat> I, will send them to, I will send to the nations, to Har Tarshish and Pole and Lud, who draw the bow and Tubal and Javan and to the coastlands afar off, who have not heard my fame, have not seen my glory, uh, they, uh, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. Man, that's us. That's us. And they shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations, on horses and chariots and litters, on mules and on camels to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. And I think what he's speaking about is this global stream of people that will come to Christ during the millennial reign because he will be reigning on his throne in Jerusalem. And people will long. These are the, these are the people that did not accept the mark of the beast. These are the people that survived, somehow survived the tribulation people, a period. These are the people that will people and populate the millennial earth. Um, and it's not going to be as many people as you think. But again, there will be that, that longing, that yearning, because they will see what Christ, uh, the world will see when Christ returns, they will realize that he has returned, that he has established his kingdom, that he has put down rebellion. Every soul is going to know that. And so again, there's going to be this stream of, of, of Gentiles throughout the world you know, coming to Jerusalem uh, during that millennial period. And again, uh, just like in a sense when you see Solomon, it said that when, when you know, Solomon in all of his glory, remember that the, the queen of Sheba, when she came, she, like, she lost her breath. She lost her breath when she saw, you know, the, uh, the, his servants um, and just the, the ordinances and the order of worship and all those sorts of things. And it said that in his days, you know, the gravel of the street was equal to silver, uh, and what it was, in, in a very um, limited kind of a way, and for a very short period within that kingdom, because it was never like that afterwards, was a picture of the millennial reign, uh, of the world coming to see, you know, the Lord Jesus, and to see, you know, basically, uh, you know, his glory, just to, to, to observe. And just like in a sense when we, you know, we just went down to... Uh, uh, Kentucky, we went down there to look at the uh, Creation Museum and to look at the Ark. Um, and it was amazing. It was just amazing. Uh, and I would encourage anybody, anybody that has, you know, children, uh, so wait till they get to the right age, but you got to take them there. You got to take them there. It is so educational in a biblical kind of a way. Uh, and it's so encouraging. And, and it makes, in a sense, you know, a lot of the Genesis issues, it just brings life, you know, to the book of Genesis. Um, I encourage everybody and anybody. I know some of you have gone, and uh, it was the uh, first time we went, and just an awesome experience. Verse 21, <clears throat> I will also take some of them for a priest 
and Levites, says the Lord. So, you know, Peter speaks about that, that we're a royal priesthood. Uh, over in Revelation, speaks about, um, you know, those of the church becoming kings and, and priests. Um, it's going to be so incredible. It's going to be so mind-blowing when we look at what the Lord does and the new age that new, you know, the, the new agers talk, speak about the new age, but they're talking about something totally different, folks. Something totally, when we talk about the, the millennial age, that's the real new age. That's what's coming to this world, and what an incredible, awesome time it's going to be, and we're going to be there. We're going to be there. We're going to serve him. Who, who knows if, because of your faithfulness, that he, you get a position of maybe being a mayor in some town. Some governor reigning over some province. There's going to be that, th there's going to be that kind of thing in the world. The world's going to get repopulated for the next thousand years. And, and to realize, because of your faithfulness, here you'll be rewarded there. That's why you know what? You've got to serve the Lord. You want to serve the Lord. Have you ever been in a place, maybe as a young person, and they're handing out trophies and you didn't get one? How'd you feel? Mm, I wish I got a trophy. You want to get a crown. You want to be rewarded. But understand this. People, a lot of Christians don't understand this. You're rewarded for those good works here and now. For service here and now. Because I've seen so many Christians over the years just throw away opportunities to serve. <laughs> it's like, really? You won't regret it then. Serve Jesus now, you will not regret it then. Because that's what rewards is all about. And there's going to be some awesome ones in that kingdom at that time. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Here, this is an affirmation to Israel. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. So again, this is in very strong terms. It seems to indica indicate that personal attendance will be required in the millennial reign. It will be obligatory. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men, this would be at the end of the tribulation, who have transgressed against me for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. So <clears throat> we'll see these things happen and occur at the end of the tribulation. And... Um, a little reminder here of the cost. There'll be many because of the rebellion, you know, against God. Um, and we're his ambassadors. You know, we're the ones right now that God has given. I, I think as, as challenging as maybe difficult it might be in these end times, I think this is, this is a great opportunity. I, I think to be alive today 
is much better than being alive 100 years ago, 200 years ago, three, four, 500, 1,000 years ago. This is it. We're, you know what, folks? We're in the, we're in the finishing stretch. We're, we're in the windup. The Lord is coming very soon. So, folks, let's get busy about our Father's business. Amen? Lord, we love you. And, Lord, with John, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray that, uh, Lord, you would equip us for the challenges that we face. Lord, we need the empowerment of your Spirit. We know that, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. And yet with you, Lord, we can do all things. And so I pray for us, Father. I pray for your, for your unction, for your anointing. For, Lord, we stand on the precipice of a golden age. Lord, it's going to be so incredibly awesome. We read about it. We read about it. We understand it in, in a certain dimension. But, Lord, when we're there, it's going to be so glorious. And so we thank you, Lord, for the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we prepare and think about that, that new day, Lord, we still, we are still here. And there's still much work to be done. There are still many who need to come into the kingdom. Point them out to us, Lord. Lord, bring us, we pray, to them. Lord, you have given us, as we have your word hidden in our hearts, you've given us a message. So, Father, may you give us just the, the boldness. So we praise you and bless you and thank you. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand.